Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to our latest Outsports podcast. It is mid-February, and we are approaching... Uh, President's Day weekend, Jim, you have any long weekend plans? Do you, do you have a long weekend, or are you working Friday and Monday? I am working Friday and Monday. <laughs> uh, well, that's... <laughs> so, so much for those long weekend plans. So much for the long weekend. Dan and I are headed to a nice, quiet weekend down in Laguna Beach. I'm looking forward to just relaxing, uh, sipping on some coffee, and watching the rain and, and listening to the I was going to say, it's going to rain all weekend, so a good time to sit and relax. Yeah, I saw it said four to six inches in the Los Angeles area of, of rain. It's We've already had more rain this year, and we're only in, what, week six than any of the previous total years. Like, each year, like, of the last six years, the 365 days, none were more rain than the last 45, so it's... <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah, and uh, we need it, but obviously it's it's getting almost to be too much for some of the dams, especially uh, up north. So. <laughs> yeah, Let's well, hope. you know, some of those dams were, were constructed a <laughs> hundred years ago, or, or even like what are the the Oroville dam was just fifty years ago, I think it said, and and even yeah. that was just a just a not enough forward thinking about potential disaster. So. Uh, well, and yeah, well, I guess. Well, anyhow, we're not gonna we're not gonna get into all of that. The natural disasters of Northern California. Uh, before we dive into this stuff, I, th- I thought we'd just talk for a minute about our our upcoming Outsports reunion in Denver. Um, you know, we 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 did this last year. Actually, we did it 15 years ago with probably I don't know 15 to 20 uh, just kind of fans of Outsports. We got together. We were first in Los Angeles and then in Philadelphia, and we didn't do it for a long time. But last year, we gathered it was almost a hundred. LGBT people in sports who gathered for Chicago Pride, and we had a great time. And we figured that we'd do it again this year in in for Denver Pride. And and, and Denver Pride kind of was your idea, really. I mean, you were, I remember when we were in Chicago, you you said, you know, Denver would be cool. And the more we looked into it, the more it was like, oh yeah, Denver actually would be cool. And I was surprised to learn it's one of the biggest Pride parades of the year, and has like the, one of the three biggest Pride festivals in the whole country. Yeah, I mean Denver is a a big city that's not overwhelmingly huge and so it's perfect for this kind of thing. It's easy to get around. The they have more than 300 days of sunshine a year so the odds of it raining on us in June are pretty slim. And it's this gorgeous environment and it's just a fun city to be in and so after Chicago which uh you know which was Right in the Midwest, this is not as close, but it's still very easy to get in and out of the Denver airport. There's a lot of flights to Denver, and it's just a great location to sort of have something like this because it has it does have that Western feel, but it's it's very urban, and um, so we're actually looking forward to it. And, and the Denver Pride Parade, like you said, is bigger than most people think. Most people don't think of Denver as you know as being a, a sort of a real gay mecca, but it, it it is. And you think about it, a lot of people from the Mountain West they will migrate from these other states to a place like Denver. And and one of the neat things, we've talked about trying to bring this to places that really need it. I mean, it's one thing to, to go to San Francisco and L.A. and New York, and it's it's all, 
it's all that's all lovely and it's a lot of fun and those events are really big. But to go to Denver, you know, in a I guess you know <laughs> a bluish purple state, I guess I guess an indigo state. I don't know what you'd call that, but uh, you know, but there's still a lot of conservatism there and, and a lot of wariness about the LGBT community. I mean, it's widely accepted there, but but there's still issues. And particularly, you look at like nearby states of South Dakota and Wyoming and Kansas, and and people I've been talking to across the the, the plain states and the mountain states are like, this is really neat. I can drive to this um, from my little town in Montana, whereas I couldn't drive to L.A. or San Francisco or New York as easily. So that's one of the neat things is that we're kind of bringing it to a place that kind of that kind of needs it more than San Francisco or New York. Oh yeah, and again and it's just it's a great city too. It, there's a lot going on. It's not dull. And if you've never been to Denver, I just discovered it a few years ago and I've gone probably four times now and I've always I'm always finding something new and there's a lot of really cool things to do and uh so I, I mean, there'll be more. We'll have more about that uh, coming up. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a great event, and I, can, I, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, if you, if if you you want to join us, if you're an LGBT athlete or coach or member of the media, uh, you know, or even a fan of outsports, and you want to join us, uh, just uh, why? Well, you know, we did, we never did post the survey on the website. I guess I'll I'll take care. I'll I'll make sure that gets done today. Um, just go to Outsports and, and track down where the, we have a little survey monkey that you got to fill out, and just it doesn't say you're going to come. It just expresses interest and says you want more information. We got a lot of neat things and some really cool partners starting to line up for this, which we'll announce over the next few weeks. But uh, do think about joining us. Um, uh, you know, w- some of the people who will be joining us, some people we want to want to talk about today. Uh, I've been really, I guess, surprised, impressed. Um, heartened by how many, and it's only a handful, I guess, but even still, how many coaches have publicly come out over the last couple of years or players who've come out over the last couple of years, athletes. And now we're getting, we're we're learning that over the last two days, weeks, months, they've been hired by different colleges and high schools after coming out publicly. And for so long, we've been told I think it's. I think it's. I think there's some truth to it that it is a little more difficult being an out coach than an out L, uh, LGBT athlete. You're dealing with recruiting issues and 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 maybe not as much now, but certainly years ago there was the idea of oh god a, a gay male coach in the locker room with young boys and what's going to happen. It's all. It was. It was all, all always nonsense. But there was that pressure there, and we'd hear from coaches that yeah, it's just. You know, there's other elements going on here that athletes don't have to deal with power structures. But it's been neat to watch Colin Christensen at UMBC and Nathan Matthews at a high school in Ohio and and Lexi Gerson at, I think it was Arcadia University, all being hired while being totally publicly out. Um, And I don't, I just, it just struck me that is, is, is this something we're going to see a lot more of where these out coaches just don't have big issues getting jobs anymore? Well, I think what's interesting you pointed out was the the fact that it's men on men's teams. That always has been the big sort of bugaboo or the big fear. Oh, my God, we can't put a gay man coaching, you know, young men because they will, you know, convert them or pervert them or whatever the old awful stereotypes were. And um, we've had two examples this week where uh, – you know, young men got hired, Colin, a softball coach um, at the University of Baltimore, Maryland, um, from Tennessee. And specifically, he had told his coming out story about maybe a month ago or so, six weeks ago. And 
it was one of the specific reasons he was sort of he, – he, he came to the radar screen of this school about the job, and they talked to Kirk Walker, who's a softball coach at UCLA, and that sort of got him on their radar screen. So in, in his case, it was a positive because he wrote such a great coming-out story yeah. um, and about his love for Tennessee, his love for softball, how he learned to throw a softball. It kind of made, he was kind of a different kid. He said he didn't throw a baseball. He learned to throw a softball, and he threw it very well, and it kind of landed him uh, a coaching position. And that actually got him, probably helped get him the job. I'm not sure if he hadn't written the story, if they would have even known he existed. And in the case of Nathan, he's 19. He is now the uh, a boys' volleyball. He's a girls' volleyball coach for high school, and now is a boys' volleyball coach for another high school. Um, and he's still going to college, and he's he's a double major. I kind of thought, God, at 19, I can barely get up for class, and he is he's carrying <laughs> a two major course load plus uh, coaching two high school volleyball teams. And he told me that his being gay was a zero factor. I mean, nobody brought it up. They clearly know about it. He's out. Everybody knows he's out. But it simply was not an issue. And, you know, we're dealing with, with high school people where in the past it had been an issue. We had a wrestling coach in in rural Indiana last year who told his coming out story. And when, you know, he announced, he kind of did his role quietly. He came out to a few people about getting married to a man. And there were people whose first thought was, oh, my God, I hope you don't have to quit. We don't want you to quit. Because they assumed other people would be prejudiced and would force this guy to quit, and it turned out people were instead saying, "Gee, we hope you know we'll be, we have your back if there's any trouble." And he's a, he go, he coaches in a very conservative area, and for him it's been a non-issue, and his players know about his husband, and he did it very organically. So we're seeing it more and more where it is a non-factor, um, you know, and yet we still know it's a problem. Say in women's big-time college basketball. You know, yeah. there there are known lesbians, and we've had, you know, people tell us all the time how many, you know, gay coaches there are who simply do not come out. And so um, that's still a problem, but it seems that that prejudice or that fear or that concern is much lessened than it used to be because people are getting jobs already ahead of time, people knowing their sexual orientation. Well, yeah, and I wanted to talk a bit about women's sports because I, I think the hiring of Lexi Gerson is – is is fantastic. She was a player at the University of Virginia. She's openly gay now. Has a girlfriend. She's at Ar- I think I'm pretty sure it's Arcadia University. Anyhow, you know, there are so few out head coaches in basketball in 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 Division One across the NCAA, and there really aren't you know relatively few out WNBA and professional women's soccer players. And I've asked basketball. many, many people, what? Oh, you say ba- you say well, basketball and soccer? Yeah, basketball and soccer. Basketball. Oh, so, oh, got it. Okay. I, so, 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 so the two the two big elite level women's sports right now are basketball and soccer. So I want to talk about both of them. And when I've talked to professional athletes and coaches who are LGBT in those two sports at an elite level, and when I talk to reporters who cover those two sports. They tell me that anywhere from 33% to 85%, depending on who you ask, the the number is somewhere in there, of the women in elite level, basketball and soccer, are LGBT. But the number who are out is, is dramatically less than that because of the constant pressures that, that women face in sports that men just 
don't. The struggle just to get a coaching job for women. Coaching women's sports is very tough. Back in the 70s, 90% of the, of the coaches of Division I women's basketball programs were women. It's now less than 50% because the men are taking the jobs. And, it's, and, and when you start to think about the dynamics of athletic departments and male athletic directors uh, and how they think, you start to understand, oh, I guess I can kind of start to really see why women have these other pressures to, be, to stay closeted because it's tough enough being a woman getting a job. Forget about being an out LGBT woman trying to get a job. So you know, I, people think, oh, you know, there's, there are so many uh, lesbians in women's sports and – from what we can tell and what we've been told, there are. But the pressures that they face staying in the closet are so much bigger. That's why when you have a Alexi Gerson, you know, coming out and talking about this, it's it's particularly impactful to me. And you just can't dismiss it as, oh, it's a lesbian in basketball. No, a lesbian coach coming out in basketball is a it's a real, it's a big deal. Yeah, and I do think people don't realize the pressures women face, that as soon as the women's jobs became more uh, paid better and were more prestigious, you had men all of a sudden deciding to want in, and they were starting to get a lot of the jobs. And so it it causes more pressure for women to conform. And, you know, we've had stories about, you know, negative recruiting for years where, you know, uh, a, a coach will go and talk about, you know, the – the wonderful family system his thing has, you know, talking about, say, a, yeah. say a woman talking about her husband or a man talking about uh, his wife, um, with the implication that the rival school's coach is, you know, one of those. And it's really been an issue. And so there are a lot of gay women in sports who simply are not comfortable being out publicly or hardly at all. And it's it's a real problem. It's a chicken and egg thing that if they all came out at the same time, it would be enormously powerful. But at the same time, people don't want to stick their neck out um, and be the one that maybe gets it chopped off for various reasons. So, um, you know, women have their own set of dynamics. And the male, the male dynamic has always been you don't want to put a man in with young men in a locker room because look what he'll do to these, you know, poor, innocent little kids when, you know, nobody's looking. And that's a stereotype. That is that we see as much lessening because I was going to write something about the Nathan thing about men in uh, coaching when I wrote the item. I thought, well, we've seen a few more that it's not as big of a deal, so I'm not going to make it a big deal because in his case it was a non-deal. I mean, it simply was not it was not discussed yeah. by anybody, and clearly they know. I mean, it's not like he's hidden it. And his story, anyone Google's Nathan Matthews, you find his coming out story. Well, I remember there was a coach um, who I knew who came out uh, a while back, and, and he was told by his athletic director, I should say the conversation was begun by the athletic director that maybe you don't need to be going in the boys' locker room anymore now that we all know that you're gay. And that was and, – and the coach was like, yeah, I can understand it. And I said – uh, this doesn't make any sense at all. This is this is totally ridiculous. I, I think ultimately it just you know it got it got pushed to the side and it didn't end up happening. But it, what was weird is and I've talked to gay athletes who have thought the same thing. They kind of bought into this. Well, yeah, maybe it's best for everybody that I change in a different locker room and I not be around them them, them naked. And I, I think that that was, that might have been a more prominent mentality even just two or three or four years ago. But today. This kind of thinking just seems to be disappearing, and and you know I I wonder if part of it is you know the whole 
transgender bathroom issue. It's like you know you're talking about transgender kids being in being in in locker rooms. Uh, you know the idea of a gay kid being in a locker room is like well, it's not even I it's not even on my radar anymore. <laughs> anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, we have, now we have to be afraid of the trans people. You know, it's like in a weird sense that seems to be happening. But also I think it's, I mean, visibility does matter. And when we've had successful male coaches, people are no longer as afraid of it. And athletes themselves have grown up much more kind of comfortable around gay people because they've seen them portrayed in the media forever. It's, you know, online. And, I mean, in the case of Nathan, he's 19, and probably the oldest player he may coach is maybe 17, maybe pushing 18. And so he's pretty much their peer group, and he's going to be their coach. And I think that's actually what's kind of cool is that he's starting out really young, and so I'm wondering if he can relate to them in a way that other people can. I believe this is a new program. I think he's building it from scratch, which is actually – for a 19-year-old sophomore in college is pretty is a pretty good thing, you know, who wants to go into sports management. It's a pretty good resume builder, even if you decide not to stay as a, a coach for your career. But, you know, and, and in Colin's case, the fact that they contacted the school, Kirk Walker, who kind of, you know, was able to sort of parlay that. I mean, Kirk has the, uh, what is it on Facebook? I want to give the exact name. It was the Equality Coaching Alliance? Yeah, the, exactly, yeah. And he's, you know, every day seems like he's posting somebody new they're welcoming because people are now finding him and finding that group. And so there's more there's more of a support system also. So when you want to come out, you have other coaches that can help you with a lot of the nuts and bolts that you and I don't know because we're not in school administration. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think all this stuff feeds into more of an empowering thing for people, and they don't feel as isolated. And that lack of feeling alone is a big reason why I think it's easier for a lot of people to come out. Yeah, well, and I do want to talk about the Quality Coaching Alliance because I think that's I think that's a big part of this story. That this organization that Kirk Walker and Roger Brigham and some others have started and and also fostered the growth of is a huge help. It's it's a, it's a place online where LGBT coaches can go and and meet other people like them, other LGBT people who are coaches. Some of them are out to their team. Some of them are not. Some of them are trying to. To, to figure out their path, and and like in Colin's case, it's also a resource to you know a, a referral resource. Sometimes people post you know that their job opportunity is available, and is it's neat that there's this suddenly this place now for for people who are out or or not out who are LGBT and who are in sport or in sports as coaches. I mean they have a place to go now that, for support, and I think that's. I think that's absolutely huge. Well, and you know, and they, like you said, they're they're often talking to coaches that are not yet out and are nervous about it, but they have other coaches that they can relate to and talk to, and just that real world experience of how do you deal with it, you know, an athletic director, how you deal with the boosters, how you deal with all that kind of stuff. These people have gone through it. And so whereas, you know, Kirk was the only one pretty much a few years ago, now there is a nice little support group. Um, and they're kind of all over the country, so you can meet people. That's another reason for people to come to the Outsports reunion. There are going to be other coaches there. And last year, people made a lot of really good connections. Um, and if you're if you're listening to this and you're wondering, it, it, it's an it's an all off the record session. So if you're not out, well, you're not going to be outed at this reunion, but you're going to be um, be among other friends and people who are going to support you. So, but I do think having that la- that lack of isolation is such a big deal because people, you know what it's like to feel isolated, and these guys don't feel as isolated anymore. 
Yeah, well, absolutely. And you know, one one last thing I wanted to comment on that I've I just kind of noticed. I remember um, when Trump was elected a few months ago, and I remember people being very afraid that this is going to send a chill through the community, and 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 nobody would want to come out anymore. I've been just I've been amazed at, at not just coaches but athletes who are like, yeah, I'm. I want to tell my story, and 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 I I want to go back and just kind of compare last year to this year, and uh, you know it's just it's just it's just been kind of neat. I think that organizations like Equality Coaching Alliance and Go Athletes and and frankly Outsports are kind of helping that along. That you know no it doesn't really whoever's in the White House might have to deal with this or that policy issues and uh, but. God, our community is rising up to support each other, and we're finding our way out of the closet. I, I just think that's I just think that's pretty neat. Well, we had a uh, yesterday. We had a story about a, a gay hunt, a guy who's a hunter. He had been a high school football and basketball player um, from rural Wisconsin, and I had been talking to him since before the election. But the election kind of spurred him to be visible because he's not a Trump supporter, say for the record. But his entire community basically voted for Trump overwhelmingly, and he just thought, "I am not going to hide anymore." He's not. There's not a contentious thing going on with his with the people he knows, but he just wanted to say, "Hey, I'm out here." And so the election was a reason for him to finally tell his story. He finally sort of, you know, got it done. Um, and because he said, "I wanted to be visible," and because I know there might be potentially some things coming down the pike that aren't going to be good for people like me. So I wanted to be kind of stand up and take notice. And I thought having someone, I mean, someone, I think it was the first hunter we've ever sort of profiled in outsports. And he, you know, is from a part of the country that a lot of people, you know, uh, don't associate with being sort of gay accepting. And he's had his issues, but he sort of carved out his little niche there. But I thought it was an interesting story that it was the election itself that finally caused him to say, what he said, something I don't want to sort of continue to have the privilege of pretending I'm a straight man. Interesting, yeah. Well, yeah, you get a lot. You get a lot of access, easier access to to things and people that you, if, if particularly in rural America, um, if they know that you're, they think that you're straight instead of knowing that you're gay. But speaking of politics, uh, I want to talk about the NFL and a uh, a possible political battle brewing in Texas. Uh, some people were shocked uh, this week to see the NFL put out a really neat video shot at the Pro Bowl in Orlando uh, under the Love Has No Labels campaign that featured two same-sex couples kissing on the kiss cam. And the idea that the NFL putting forward, uh, you know, with its logos, and you see the logos of different teams all over the video, and, um, you know, this idea that, you know, love has no labels, and and, and if you're a same-sex couple or interracial couple or one of you is disabled, doesn't doesn't matter. Love Love is all the same. And people were surprised by that, I, I, so many people said. In fact, people at SB Nation even said, uh, "You know, this is one of the few things the NFL has ever done that's pro LGBT." And I had to say, mm, "Actually, no." Just earlier this week, or maybe it was late last week. I think it was late last week. You posted on Friday. They came out. The NFL came out and, and wrote a, a, a tepid shot across the bow to Texas, just kind of saying, "Yeah, the NFL uh, is against discrimination and." Uh, you know, the subtext was if you're thinking about passing a North Carolina-like law and you want to host future Super Bowls, maybe you want to reconsider passing that law. And then uh, yesterday, the governor essentially told, 
the NFL to go screw themselves and they were going to do whatever the hell they wanted. I'm curious, Jim. Uh, you know, the NFL has kind of weighed in on this stuff in the past. Uh, they didn't move the Super Bowl out of Houston after the anti-LGBT law passed there. They held their owners' meeting in Charlotte despite HB2 passing a couple months earlier. Could we see a real battle the next time, if, if SB2 passes, the next time they're handing out uh, locations to host the Super Bowl, could we see a battle between the Texas governor's office and the NFL over whether they should host this event or not? You actually might see a battle between the Texas governor's office and Jerry Jones, who you know, wants one of the next right. Super Bowls and would be furious. But the NFL sort of laid down a marker. I mean, it was a bit tepid, but it was pretty clear that there's a bill in Texas, Senate Bill 6, that would be – it's the bathroom bill, just like North Carolina. It's, it's basically roughly the same bill. It would force trans people to use the bathroom of the gender assigned to their birth certificate. It's, you know, it's that garbage that, that's been, that was passed in North Carolina elsewhere. And it has the support of the lieutenant governor, and the governor hasn't weighed in yet on his opinion. But it's moving forward, and there are people are now lining up to speak against it. And the NFL was asked specifically about it, and they issued this thing about non-discrimination. You know, so I think it would make it hard that if they passed that bill, that they would it would make it hard for them to give Texas a Super Bowl based on what they said. I mean, you know, they didn't do anything with Houston when they rescinded the LGBT ordinance, and we did not think that was acceptable. Maybe they think if they get ahead of the issue now, they did last year in Georgia when Georgia was considering a very similar bill, and the governor vetoed it. One of the reasons he vetoed it were a lot of businesses and companies lined up against it, and the NFL basically said, you want a Super Bowl in Atlanta, this is something we'll consider. And uh, the governor decided not to sign the bill, and Atlanta was awarded the Super Bowl, I think, two or three weeks later. So this is a pretty interesting shot by the NFL, but I do think they're in line with what big business is thinking. These bills are horrible. Indiana, they had a, they had a yank that bill. You were in town for that a couple years ago because it caused so much angst, and their business is lining up in Texas. And you get the NCAA, for example, they have a lot of championships in Texas, including the rotation for the college football championship game in Texas Stadium. Yep. And based on what's happened in North Carolina, if Texas passes a similar bill, the NCAA can't go back and make an exception for Texas. And so it's a lot bigger state, a lot more events. But I do think it was a good thing of the NFL to do, and you could argue about some of the other stuff, but this is one where they took a nice little shot across the bow, and we'll see what uh, if anything actually happens with it with this bill. They may just get cold feet and talk about it and never pass it. Well, and speaking of the NCA, which has been, you know, pretty, uh, you know, I've been critical of the NCA in the past, but they've been pretty, uh, pretty clear that if you pass these kinds of bills, we are not hosting our events in your states. And and uh, I, I do think that uh, that you know, despite all the other things the NCA has done that makes me crazy. Uh, they have definitely flexed their muscles on this one, and, and I do appreciate that. And the men's Final Four is next year in San Antonio, 2018. The NCAA will pull that Final Four from Texas if they pass this bill. It's going to happen. And I don't see how the NFL turns around and awards the state the Super Bowl uh, when they've issued this warning – the NCAA is pulling events out of there. The NBA will start pulling events out of there. I don't think there are any planned right now, but they're not getting, they're not getting these big events. It's not going to happen. And you're going to start to see. 
I, I, I don't. At what point do, do people in these states say, "What are we doing? Why, if why why are we why are we risking all of this revenue and all of this prestige so we can pass these bills?" You have to, and and and, it's, and, and I am thankful that the sports world, including the NFL, started is is starting to say, "You you can't do this anymore. You can't pass these discrimination laws." Well, and you, you wonder. I mean, there seems to be a sense that we're going to do we're going to, what we want to do, but there is going to be an economic cost, and it costs the governor his job in North Carolina. Probably wouldn't talk, cost a Republican the job in Texas. But I mean, I think you know this is a lot of there's been noise made about this, but I can see this bill maybe simply dying a nice slow death because you know businesses are going to basically you know vote with their feet and leave the state or boycott and have you know conventions and stuff and. You know, for a state that prides itself on its business-friendly environment, this this bill is anything but business-friendly. Well, that's interesting. And Texas has, uh, you know, has built a, a, a reasonable economy there, and I know drawn some reportedly drawn businesses from California and other states uh, because of their pro-business uh, um, pro-business policies there. But oh, again, you know, my point was people are surprised that the NFL uh, would do these LGBT inclusive things, and. You and I aren't surprised by this. I'm, I'm putting together a list of various things the NFL and different teams and team owners and prominent players have done. And people will be surprised to see how oh, all of that's come out of the NFL in the last 10 years. Yep. I think people will be surprised by it. Uh, that's all the time we have. Uh, this week, again, if you're interested in the Outsports reunion, head to Outsports. I'll be sure to post the uh, more, a little more information there in the next 24 hours. Uh, and, and otherwise, we will talk to you next week. <laughs>